Welcome to the Law with DK Williams. Giving the courts credit when they get it right, calling them out when they get it wrong. Welcome back to the Law. I'm DK Williams, and this is episode 55, the District of Columbia versus Wesby, but otherwise known as the Peaches House Party case. We're going to discuss probable cause, qualified immunity, and of course, what went on at Peach's House Party. As always, The Law with DK Williams is brought to you in collaboration with Speakeasy Ideas. You can subscribe to The Law and other Speakeasy Ideas podcasts through your favorite podcast app and at speakeasyideas.com. If you go there, speakeasyideas.com slash the law, you'll see a whole bunch of these right there. Follow this podcast on social media. You can go to Twitter at the law DKW and on Facebook.com slash the law with DK Williams. The whole thing spelled out there. I'd love to hear from you if you're so inclined. Uh, when you check out that Facebook page, give it a review, give it a like, comment, retweet on the Twitter page. You guys know the d- deal. If you uh, wish to do so, we'd appreciate it. And I'm available for speaking engagements, consulting, teaching. Contact Bethany at speakeasyideas.com for details. Who are the named participants in this case? Well, Wesby is Theodore Wesby. He's one of 16 attendees of Peach's house party that have participated in this lawsuit. Started out as a civil rights action for wrongful, uh, basically wrongful arrest, and it worked its way up to the U.S. Supreme Court, and we'll talk about how it did that. The other named participant is the District of Columbia, which you are all familiar with, the federal jurisdictional district that is home to our nation's capital. The Supreme Court tally was unanimous. 9-0, Clarence Thomas wrote the opinion for the unanimous court. Justice Sotomayor filed an opinion who was concurring in part and concurring in the judgment. Uh, Justice Ginsburg also wrote separately in an opinion concurring in the judgment in part. Let's let Justice Thomas lay out the facts here for us. He explains in the opinion, this case involves a civil suit against the District of Columbia and five of its police officers brought by 16 individuals, one of whom is Theodore Wesby, who were arrested for holding a raucous late-night party in a house they did not have permission to enter. The United States Court of Appeals for the District of Columbia Circuit held that there was no probable cause to arrest the partygoers and that the officers were not entitled to qualified immunity. We, the U.S. Supreme Court, reverse on both grounds. So that's how the case got to the U.S. Supreme Court. But what happened in the early morning hours of March 16, 2008, that initiated this entire legal process. And remember, this party took place in 2008, and the Supreme Court's decision was released 10 years later in 2018. It takes a while for these things to wind their way up the system. The wheels of justice turn slowly. Sometimes, however, they don't turn at all. Back to Justice Thomas, the Supreme Court's opinion on what happened. Around 1 a.m. on March 16, 2008, the district's Metropolitan Police Department received a complaint about loud music and illegal activities at a house in Northeast D.C. The caller, a former neighborhood commissioner, so apparently that makes him more believable, told police that the house had been vacant for several months. When officers arrived at the scene, several neighbors confirmed that the house should have been empty. The officers approached the house and, consistent with the complaint, heard loud music playing inside. After the officers knocked on the front door, they saw a man look out the window and then run upstairs. One of the partygoers, however, opened the door and the officers entered. Come on, man. Don't let them in. 
What you do in this situation is you see the officers, you open the door and you go outside and you close the door behind you. You let the police talk to you. This was a noise complaint. This was an opportunity to tell the police officers, sorry, we'll keep it down. Then if the party goers were wise, they'd have kept it down. That's all the complaint was. And they should have left at that point, right? People are calling the police. They know you're there. Might be a good idea to leave. They did not do that, unfortunately, for them. Now, when I was at someone's house in high school, for example, a long time ago, parties going on, maybe, you know, hypothetically, the parents aren't home, and the police show up, everyone knows the party is over. It's time to leave. And I'm a libertarian. That's a completely reasonable action to take upon the police arriving at a house party you're not supposed to be at. Don't be keeping other people up with your noise. That's the libertarian position. And when the police arrive, leave. The Supreme Court continues about what happened. They, the police, immediately observed that the inside of the house was in disarray and looked like a vacant property. The officer smelled marijuana and saw beer bottles and cups of liquor on the floor. In fact, the floor was so dirty that one of the partygoers refused to sit on it while being questioned. Although the house had working electricity and plumbing, it had no furniture downstairs other than a few padded metal chairs. The only other signs of habitation were blinds on the windows, food in the refrigerator, and toiletries in the bathroom. The court goes on. In the living room, the officers found a makeshift strip club. Several women were wearing only bras and thongs with cash tucked into their garter belts. This is Clarence Thomas writing this. The women were giving lap dances while other partygoers watched. Most of the onlookers were holding cash and cups of alcohol. It is not mentioned if they were red solo cups or not. After seeing the uniformed officers, many partygoers scattered into other parts of the house. They scattered into other parts of the house? Why didn't they take this opportunity to leave? I'm just trying to offer some practical suggestions for when the police come to the house party where you're not supposed to be there in that house. Don't hang out. This reminds me of the Ron White joke with these people talking to the police officers when they're under no obligation to do so. You can say, oh, I'm, I'm leaving your officer. Uh, am I being detained or am I free to go? That's all you need to say. But the Ron White joke goes when he was being arrested. I knew I had the right to remain silent. I just didn't have the ability, which it seems what is going on here with these people. You have the right to remain silent. Use it. The officers found more debauchery upstairs. You don't get to use that word enough. Justice Thomas continues the description. A naked woman and several men were in the bedroom. A bare mattress, the only one in the house, was on the floor, along with some lit candles. Hey, you got to have the mood, right? You got to set the mood. And multiple open condom wrappers. A used condom was on the windowsill. I'm not sure why he had to include that. The officers found one partygoer hiding in an upstairs closet and another who had shut himself in the bathroom and refused to come out. The officers found a total of 21 people in the house. After interviewing all 21, okay, I hope there were more people there and some of them had the sense to leave, but they found 21 and all 21 talked to the officers. The officers, nevertheless, did not get a clear or consistent story. That doesn't seem to be surprising to me. Don't talk to the police. Just leave. If they ask you a question, like I said, sorry, officer, am I free or am I being de detained? I'm, I'm out. Then if you are detained, you have a defense. If you just start talking, you don't have a defense. What you say will be used against you. There's nothing more American than exercising your rights. 
Don't let anybody tell you, oh, if you've got nothing to hide, talk to the police. That's un-American. Defending your rights is American. Don't ever forget that and don't let anybody tell you differently. Justice Thomas continues, many partygoers said they were there for a bachelor party, but no one could identify the bachelor. Okay, I admit, that's suspicious. Each of the partygoers claimed that someone had invited them to the house. If all 21 said that, that is consistency, I'll say. Nevertheless, no one could say who. Two of the women working the party, and I think he's using working the party euphemistically, I'm not sure. But two of the women working the party said that a woman named Peaches, that's where we get the name of the case, Peaches House Party. And I love this alternative potential name. So it was a woman named Peaches or Tasty. I'm at a loss. Peaches are tasty, however. So Peaches apparently was renting the house and had given them permission to be there. One of the women explained that the previous owner had recently passed away and Peaches had just started renting the house from the grandson who inherited it. Oh, getting kind of some detailed story here. But the house had no boxes or moving supplies, according to Justice Thomas, and the woman did not know Peaches' real name. And Peaches was not there. Alas, Peaches was not present to explain the situation. The court goes on. An officer asked the woman to call Peaches on her phone so he could talk to her. Peaches answered and explained that she had just left the party to go to the store. When the officer asked her to return, Peaches refused because she was afraid of being arrested. Good move on Peaches' part. Finally, someone has asserted their rights like a good American. The sergeant called her back and she began yelling and insisting that she had permission before hanging up a second time. The officers eventually got Peaches on the phone again not sure why she picked up, but she did. And she admitted that she did not have permission to use the house. Oh, Peaches, you are doing so well. You refuse to speak. You did not have to. That is your natural right to refuse to speak to anyone, including the police. But finally, you said something. You gave it up. You said, I don't have permission to use the house. You are doing so well up until then. At this point, the jig is up for everybody in the house. All right. Police know there's no permission for any of them to be there. Even if they, even if somebody had legitimately been told by Peaches to go, Peaches didn't have that authority. They all need to leave. The officers continue their investigation. They contacted the owner. Somehow they found out who the owner was and they contacted the owner. Remember, this is like after one o'clock in the morning now. The owner told them, the police, that he'd been trying to negotiate a lease with Peaches. So, hey, Peaches does have some connection to this vacant house. But the owner and Peaches had not yet reached an agreement. The owner confirmed that he had not given Peaches or anyone else permission to be in the house, let alone permission to use it for a bachelor party. At that point, the officers arrested the 21 partygoers for unlawful entry. Now remember, some of these people might have actually believed that the invitation was legit. Nevertheless, they were arrested. The police transported the partygoers to the police station, where the lieutenant at the police station decided to charge them with disorderly conduct. Okay, not for unlawful entry, which is what they were arrested for. So I think that's kind of a bump down. The lieutenant's like, all right, book them for disorderly conduct. The party goers were released and the charges were eventually dropped. Because what did they, what did everybody want here? What did the police really want? What did the neighbors really want? What did the owner of the house really want? It's for everyone to leave the house, which is what they just should have done. But nevertheless, they didn't. The police finally got them out of there. All the charges were dropped. They wanted the party shut down. Supreme Court goes on. Respondents, 16 of the 21 partygoers, I don't know what happened to the other five, but 16 of them sued the District of Columbia and five of the arresting officers. They sued the officers for false arrest, 
under the Fourth Amendment and pursuant to 42 United States Code Section 1983, which we've talked about before. That is the federal statute that authorizes a person to sue a government agent for violating their constitutional rights, or more precisely, violating their rights as protected by the U.S. Constitution. D-16 sued the district for false arrest and negligent supervision under District of Columbia law. The party gorge claims were all predicated upon the allegation that they were arrested without probable cause. So if there were probable cause, they lose. So here we go. The trial court ruled in plaintiff's favor. There was no probable cause for the arrests and that the officers were not entitled to qualified immunity. So after ruling that, uh, making that ruling on summary judgment, the case went to trial on damages. The jury awarded the party goers a total of $680,000 in compensatory damages, like actual damages. That's how much they were injured. It doesn't say how that was broken down, but that is split 16 ways, remember. But the total was $680,000. And then they added attorney's fees under the statute. The total award was nearly $1 million. Again, split 16 ways. Still, that's a lot of money. The D.C. Circuit Court of Appeals upheld that award. That was a two-to-one decision, though, so it was not unanimous at the Court of Appeals level. The Supreme Court here overturns all of it. This is a great illustration of why obtaining a judgment is not the same as getting any money. For one thing, like here, it can be overturned on appeal. And another, if you're suing a private entity, they may have no insurance and no assets. Then you can have a judgment for a billion dollars and you don't get a dime. Qualified immunity is a major issue, and we've discussed it before in episode four. Quick reminder, qualified immunity is a legal doctrine in the United States that shields government officials, government agents, usually police, from being sued for discretionary actions performed within their official capacity. So they're acting as police officers. They have to make some decisions. And if those violate someone or allegedly, potentially violate someone's constitutional rights, they get qualified immunity unless their actions violated clearly established federal law or constitutional rights. So the Court of Appeals split two to one, saying that they didn't get qualified immunity, which is an unusual thing in a case like this. And of course, the Supreme Court gives them qualified immunity and says they had probable cause. So plaintiffs lose on both those issues at the Supreme Court. So the dissenting judge disagreed with the denial of qualified immunity, contending that a reasonable officer could have found probable cause to arrest in this unusual factual scenario, not well represented in the controlling case law. Okay, that language sounds weird, but that's the language they have to use in the qualified immunity context. The Supreme Court agrees with her, but this standard is what makes qualified immunity so ridiculous, or one thing that makes it so ridiculous. Basically, it says, until a court finds that certain police conduct is unreasonable, an officer who does that conduct has qualified immunity. If they have qualified immunity, the court's not going to find it unreasonable. So the conduct can never be found unreasonable until it has been found to be unreasonable, but it won't be found to be unreasonable because of qualified immunity. It is really stupid. Joseph Heller, who wrote Catch-22, would not have written something that ridiculous. Now, there's a, a good article. There's several articles out there, but Joanna Schwartz has an excellent summary of the problems with the doctrine of qualified immunity in a recent Volat conspiracy post, which is now hosted on the Reason.com site. I put the link to her article in the show notes. It's called Imagining a World Without Qualified Immunity, Part 1. And she writes, As critics have shown, qualified immunity doctrine bears little resemblance to defenses available when Section 1983 became law. 
It undermines government accountability and is both unnecessary and ill-suited to shield government defendants from the burdens and distractions of litigation, which is what it was. That's one of the rationales for it. Now, she can say that. Commentators can say that. I can say it because it's right. But until justices say it, that's the law. She points out that several sitting justices have indicated they are open to rethinking the doctrine. Sotomayor and Kagan have, and she continues on, Justice Thomas criticized the doctrine for straying from its common law foundations and recommended to his colleagues that, quote, in an appropriate case, we should reconsider our qualified immunity jurisprudence. So hopefully he will. So that's potentially three justices who've spoken about it that are willing to, to fix it in essence, or do something about it, make it less worse, maybe completely fix it. So that's not a bad start. So Thomas wrote the opinion here in Peach's House Party, but he says in an appropriate case, we should re-examine it. Apparently, Peach's House Party is not that appropriate case. And Thomas says police should get qualified immunity here, and so do Kagan and so do Mayor. So they all say in this case, they get it, although they say hopefully in the future, we can revisit this. Thomas writes, we granted certiorari, Again, that's we agreed to hear the case to resolve two questions, whether the officers had probable cause to arrest the partygoers and whether the officers were entitled to qualified immunity. Supreme Court says yes to both. And here's a good basic summary of Fourth Amendment law in general from this from this opinion. The Fourth Amendment protects the right of the people to be secure in their persons, houses, papers and effects against unreasonable searches and seizures, and being arrested is a seizure. Because arrests are seizures of persons, they must be reasonable under the circumstances. A warrantless arrest is reasonable if the officer has probable cause to believe that the suspect committed a crime in the officer's presence. Okay, that's the textbook law that Justice Thomas recites. He goes on, to determine whether an officer had probable cause for an arrest, we examine the events leading up to the arrest and then decide whether these historical facts, viewed from the standpoint of an objectively reasonable police officer, amount to probable cause. Okay, so again, that passage would get you a good grade on a law school exam. That's basically, that lays it out. Now, applying it can get more difficult. And in describing the totality of the circumstances of what went here, down here at Peach's House Party, which is what the Supreme Court says must be done, all nine of them, you can't just take one thing and go, well, you know what, that can be explained away. And here's something else. You know, that can be explained away. One more thing, eh, that can be explained away. You don't look at them like that. You have to look at all of them, the totality of the circumstances. And that's not what the trial court did and not what the, the two-judge Court of Appeals majority did. So Thomas wrote about that. And again, unanimous opinion, 9-0 for the Supreme Court. He's describing these circumstances. The living room had been converted into a makeshift strip club. Strippers in bras and thongs with cash stuffed in their garter belts were giving lap dances. Upstairs... Again, we talk about the bare mattress, the naked woman. They did have candlelight, so that's, you know, that's a step up in class. So far, we've got evidence of a party. Not one maybe any of us would be keen to attend, but do these circumstances reflect on the occupancy of the house? Could these things be going on in a house legally occupied by peaches? It could. But again, you have to look at the whole thing. You can't just pick one thing, seriatim, and go down a list and say all of those could have a reasonable explanation. You got to look at all of them. And that's what the court says. They go on. Taken together, the condition of the house and the conduct of the partygoers allowed the officers to make several common sense conclusions about human behavior. The partygoers staying around long enough to get arrested is their real crime. 
Now, all charges were dismissed, but they didn't have to be arrested. They just needed to leave. The police interviewed 21 of them. They called Peaches at least twice. They found out who the owner of the house was. They called him. After doing all of this, these people are still at the party. Go home, people. Like Ferris Bueller at the end of that movie. Go home. The party's over. Justice Thomas continues describing the totality of the circumstances. He points out, the partygoers' reaction to the officers gave them further, gave the police officers further reason to believe that the partygoers knew they lacked permission to be in the house. Many scattered at the sight of the uniformed officers. I submit that's not unusual conduct. I'll come back to that. Thomas goes on, unprovoked flight upon noticing the police, we have explained, is certainly suggestive of wrongdoing and can be treated as suspicious behavior that factors into the totality of the circumstances. Okay, I think that is a completely unwarranted conclusion, especially given the two recent shootings in Texas by police officers of innocent people in their homes. Scattering at the sight of an officer seems perfectly reasonable to me. Supreme Court goes on. Additionally, some of the party goers claim the event was a bachelor party, but no one could identify the bachelor. The officers could have disbelieved them since people normally do not throw a bachelor party without a bachelor. Good point, Justice Thomas. I think you got him on that one. The panel majority, the Court of Appeals two-to-one majority, relied heavily on the fact that Peaches said she had invited the party goers to the house. But when the officer spoke with Peaches, she was nervous, agitated, and evasive. Again, come on. She's talking to the police. Being nervous, agitated, and evasive is perfectly reasonable. But she shouldn't have spoken to the police. It was used against Not her, but what she said was used and how she said it was used against the people at the party. If she had been there, it would have been used against her. Be American. Exercise your rights that the American Constitution protects for you. Court goes on, viewing these circumstances as a whole, a reasonable officer could conclude that there was probable cause to believe the partygoers knew they did not have permission to be in the house. Okay, I don't really have a quarrel with that. I think many of them might have had a real legitimate belief that they were invited there. But it's not unreasonable to think they didn't or to conclude that they didn't. And once that's decided that there's probable cause, the case is over for the plaintiffs. Remember, probable cause is a pretty low bar. And these party goers should have just left, like I said, upon arrival of the police. None, none of them would have been arrested. The police would have gotten what they wanted. The party's over. It's quiet. The neighborhood would have been happy. They can go to sleep. They don't have this loud party keeping them up. These people did not need to justify their presence in the apartment. Again, I'm on my way out, officer. Uh, am I being detained or am I free to go? I'm getting out of here. Because that's what the police want. They want to shut down the party. And leaving helps them do just that. Of course, as always return to repeatedly in these podcasts. Record all interaction with all government agents. You've got a phone, hit record. Do video if you can. If not, do the audio. This is part of being a good American. Make this a rule. Record all interactions with government agents. Being a good American means exercising your natural rights protected by the Constitution. Not doing so might make you a bad American who's not protecting their God-given rights protect them. That's patriotic. Court goes on. And here, the totality of the circumstances, like we've said, all of this going on, gave the officers plenty of reasons to doubt the partygoers' protestations of innocence. Again, they didn't need to protest their innocence, but they did. They just needed to leave. And at the risk of flailing on this deceased equine, whatever you say can be used against you. Your silence cannot be used against you. Now, although, quick caveat, we talked about the Fifth Amendment and its application. 
in episode 15, which was Salinas versus Texas. So check that one out. And it's got some very important information about the Fifth Amendment and exercising it. Supreme Court, after saying there's probable cause, then gets into the qualified immunity doctrine and says the police get it, which was a foregone conclusion at that point. Court says, under our precedence, officers are entitled to qualified immunity under Section 1983 unless, one, they violated a federal statutory or constitutional right, and two, the unlawfulness of their conduct was clearly established at the time. So we've already talked about this catch-22 with that. And as we discussed in episode four on qualified immunity, that is a nonsensical, judicially created doctrine with no basis in statutory or constitutional construction. Hopefully it's in deny, and we'll keep looking at it for you. We'll keep on it. The court goes on. We have stressed the need to identify a case where an officer acting under similar circumstances was held to have violated the Fourth Amendment. So this is how they can determine if the police officer knew he was violating someone's rights. They have to find a case where someone doing something similar, a cop doing something similar, was held to have violated the Fourth Amendment. So if that's happened, they're saying the cop should know that they can't do it themselves. So the court goes on. While there does not have to be a case directly on point, existing precedent must place the lawfulness of the particular arrest beyond debate. It's not obvious to the police officer unless a court has already said it is obvious, which the courts can't do until it has been done. The other absurd part of this doctrine is that it assumes police read judicial decisions. They don't. Nevertheless, the Supreme Court held the officers were thus entitled to summary judgment based on qualified immunity. They say the judgment of the D.C. Circuit is therefore reversed. And in essence, that million dollars is never going to be collected. D.C. no longer owes it to anyone because of qualified immunity. And in this case, they probably were reasonable I wouldn't advise them to arrest these people, but they did, and I can't say it's objectively unreasonable to do that. Thusly, the tale of Peach's house party did not end with a million-dollar judgment, but with nothing. And so what are the takeaways? Qualified immunity is nonsense, and when an appropriate case comes along, the Supreme Court should abolish it. Also, exercise your right to remain silent. It's protected by the Fifth Amendment. It is the American patriotic thing to do, even when... You have nothing to hide, especially when you have nothing to hide. Rights are like muscles. If you don't use them, they atrophy. If you're going to go to a competition and you need to deadlift 500 pounds at the competition, you need to do that. Well, unless you've been out there practicing, you ain't going to be able to do it when you need to. Use them when you don't need to. Exercise them. Flex them. Use them. I'm DK Williams. This has been The Law, episode 55. District of Columbia versus Wesby, the Peaches House Party case. We're brought to you in collaboration with Speakeasy Ideas, as always, and let me know what you think. Again, it's Twitter at the Law DKW and on Facebook.com slash the Law with DK Williams. I'm available for speaking engagements, consulting, teaching. Contact Bethany at speakeasyideas.com for details. Until next week, freedom is dangerous. Live dangerously. Peace.